Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, and beginning our reading at verse 46, and in the church Bibles, this is on page 847. Mark 10 at verse 46. This is speaking about Jesus. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and to say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. For many of us, Uh, Our vision is probably something that we take for granted, that we can look around and observe the natural world and we can take in uh, all the the wonder of God's creation. But when you think about vision that many of us enjoy, uh, it's not just that we can see and that we can process what we are observing. But if you slow down and you think about it, We don't just see evidence of God's design in the beauty of the natural world. But with your eyes, you are able to see it and to appreciate it. Stuart Burgess uh, is someone who is uh, making an interesting observation about our vision. And in one of his writings, he makes the point that the color scheme of the natural world itself lends itself to highlighting how God creates the world and how we were meant to enjoy it. He says that the color scheme of the natural world is perfectly well designed for humans. And he gives several arguments for his his case, saying that the colors of the world around us are ideally suited for our benefit and for our enjoyment. One of his arguments is is that when you look at the natural world, every... uh, area of creation, whether you look at the skies, whether you look at the waters, whether you look at the land, every area of creation has colors that are restful colors, that they're restful colors which actually enrich and allow us to enjoy the world that we are observing. What does he mean by that? He means that when you look at, say, the land, one of the dominant colors of the land is green. 
And green is a restful color because it actually studies have shown that green reduces eye strain, that it allows a person to relax. When you look at the waters, the dominant color is blue and blue is a restful color. You just think about how many people go on vacation just to look at uh, the waters by the beach or they look at the sunset with the sky. Blue is something that allows us to relax. And studies show that blue, looking at blue, can reduce a person's heart rate. And even if you look at the night uh, sky, the, the blackness of the sky is also a restful color. So the, the actual every area of creation is giving us restful impulses to it. It's signaling to us rest and enjoyment. But he goes on and he gives other arguments as well. He says another reason why the color scheme is ideally suited for humans is because uh, there is a different dominating color in each part of creation. We might take it for granted, but if you again stop and think, the whole world isn't green. The whole world isn't blue. God uses variation in his creation. So even when you look up at the sky, it's not simply dark at night but dark with light. It's not simply uh, uh, one shade of color. And even when we think about the primary colors, including red, God weaves the variation of red into creation, but doesn't make it a dominant color. Because red is a stressful color. When we see red, it excites. But we're not meant to be constantly uh, on guard or constantly on uh, alert. But rather, God wants us to dominate in rest. And so when you stop and just look at the world around you, yes, we can say there's design to it, there's orderliness to it. But Burgess is saying, just look at the colors. And the colors themselves lend itself to saying, God wants you to not just see order and beauty, He wants you to enjoy it. He wants you to enter into the rest that the colors themselves lend themselves to. And so we are not only made to see the world, God created us to see it and to appreciate it. Why mention all of this? Because we are created not simply to see, but we are created to appreciate what God has done. We are created to enjoy God's works. This morning we are looking at an occasion of someone who could not see God's works, someone who could not appreciate God's creation because he was blind. He couldn't appreciate God's works, but someone who came to see God's grace. We're looking at Bartimaeus and how Bartimaeus has an encounter with Jesus. And this morning we want to see how Christ removes his blindness and shows his mercy to him. We are told uh, in Mark's gospel at this point, that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. You remember he was telling his disciples why they're going to Jerusalem. He is going to suffer, to die, and then to rise again on the third day. Jesus explained to them that this must happen. This is necessary that it happens. But he also began to explain how or why this is going to happen. It's going to happen because Jesus says he came to give his life as a ransom. It is that payment that secures the freedom of his people. What slavery, what imprisonment uh, is he talking about? 
Jesus himself said that those who practice sin are in prison. They're slaves to sin. And so when Jesus says he came to give his life as a ransom, he's saying that he is paying the cost in order to deliver us from our sins. This is his mission. This is why he's going to Jerusalem. This is why he is going to die. But as he is on his way to Jerusalem, it tells us now that he came to Jericho. This is not the same Jericho that you read about in the Old Testament that the walls came tumbling down. This is a different Jericho. Uh, This Jericho is just north of Jerusalem. It's about a day's walk uh, from Jerusalem. And so it's really your last resting place before you would enter into Jerusalem. But we're, we're noticing that Jesus is getting close now to his destination. And he comes to Jericho. And as he is on his way of leaving Jericho, uh, he meets this man, uh, Bartimaeus. It tells us that as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And we want to look at these verses this morning in two thoughts, or a couple of thoughts. We want to think about the man's uh, condition, the man's uh, cry, and then uh, finally the man's course. But first, the man's condition. We're told two things about Bartimaeus, uh, really. Uh, He's identified as Bartimaeus, but it just simply means son of Timaeus. Uh, This man, we're told two things about him. Uh, He is, one, described as a blind man. And secondly, he is described as a beggar. He is told, uh, it says that he is blind. Uh, He has no ability uh, to see. Uh, And his inability to see prevents him from seeing the beauty of God's world. His blindness is a barrier for him uh, appreciating what God has done. It serves as an obstacle then from interacting in the world that God has made with confidence. He's working with a fragmented picture of things uh, and trying to make sense of the world that he engages with. So he is described as a blind man, but he's also uh, described as a beggar. His blindness naturally leads to him being a beggar. And anyone in his condition in the ancient world would be uh, pressured into basically begging for their sustenance. Uh, they're not going to be able to be supported uh, uh, in, a, in a way that perhaps today they could. And so he would do what any person would have done in the ancient times. He would put himself where the traffic is. And the traffic from Jericho to Jerusalem would be uh, a road well-traveled. And so he's now putting himself at the mercy of those who walk by him to give him alms, to give him uh, uh, food, to give him money so that he can survive. And so here he is uh, waiting uh, at the side of the road uh, outside of Jericho, begging uh, for uh, his, his livelihood uh, just outside of Jericho. But this man's uh, condition, a blind man and uh, reduced to begging, is something that scripture uses to describe as an analogy of the human condition as well. Um, we read in scripture that uh, we are all by nature blind to the things of God. By that, what scripture is saying is is that we are not living in an enriched state, even though we may find ourselves content or happy or we may be enjoying ourselves. 
we're not actually living in an enriched state. We're living in a deprived and an impoverished state because we're not acknowledging the totality of God's truth. We're not acknowledging the totality of God's world. We're living with a fragmented view on things. And that leaves us in a very pitiable condition. It's not one to be desired, but rather one that is uh, impoverished. And that's uh, what Isaiah says in Isaiah 59. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor, we are like dead men. It's not a very flattering picture. And yet it's very clear that scripture says that's what we're like by nature. That we are people living without reference to God. And as a result, we're impoverished. Now, you may be sitting here thinking to yourself, that, that can't be what we're like. That can't be what I'm like without God. That if I was really blind, I would sense my blindness. But just stop and think about that. Even blindness is not something that is innately recognized. It's only by reference that a person is going to know that either by their past experience that they once were able to see and now they can't, or because of some experience that confronts them with their blindness. They're discovering things that they didn't realize before. Someone is informing them. Someone is bringing something to their attention. Something happens. And that, that is clear when you think about color blindness. People can be in adulthood and live many decades and not even recognize that they're colorblind. They've lived their lives and they've gone on their way happily thinking that they see things clearly. Only at some point to realize that they're not seeing red as red. They're seeing orange or they're seeing something else. They're not actually recognizing what is there for what it is. And sometimes you'll see these videos online of people putting on those special goggles and they're able to suddenly see the, with vividness uh, the colors of God's world. And it takes them aback. All their life they thought they saw things right. But only now they see how blind they were. They didn't see colors. And so when scripture says that we are blind, it is saying that we are not living with reference to God. That we are uh, uh, divorced from his truth. And when we suppress the truth, the light of God's truth, the result is darkness. We were singing there in Psalm 36, in your light we see light. It's when we acknowledge God that we see things as they are, that we appreciate the truth. And so if we're living without reference to God, if you're living without reference to his revelation, or without reference to his promises, or without reference to his revealed will, then you are, as scripture says, blind. You're living maybe a life that you feel content with, but you don't see things as they are. And it is actually an impoverished state. The effect of rejecting God is, is that you don't appreciate the glory of God. It'll prevent you from finding comfort in the times of suffering. It'll prevent you from finding meaning in the midst of the unpredictability of life. It will make us unable uh, to see uh, the human predicament of sin and it will leave us unable to appreciate our situation. If 
we don't acknowledge God, then we don't see his glory. If we don't see God, then we don't understand our own situation either. And so here, this whole encounter is not just about Bartimaeus. Mark is including this in his gospel because Jesus is doing something that teaches us about Jesus. But it's also teaching us something about ourselves. That Bartimaeus is a blind man in need of healing. Just as scripture says that we are all people in need of healing. Needing our eyes restored that we might see and that we might live in light of God's truth. So there's the man's condition. He's a blind man, and he's a man that's reduced as a result to begging. But there's the man's cry as well. In verse 47, it says, When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, so now he's listening and he can hear a great crowd that is coming all at once. Something is happening that excites him. There is a greater opportunity that he's going to get provisions. But in the midst of this, he's recognizing what the cause for this great mass of people is. It's because Jesus is in the midst of that circle. That, that he hears that they're, they're talking with Jesus. And so as he recognizes that Jesus is in the midst of them, uh, he begins to cry out. But notice how he is described. He's described as Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, literally there, it's actually saying Jesus the Nazarene. Uh, the Nazarene is language that may make us think back to the Old Testament. You remember Samson. Uh, Samson was uh, a man who was identified as a Nazarene. He was someone who was powerfully anointed by God to bring salvation for Israel. The Lord raised him up as a deliverer. Uh, he was a Nazarene. And now Mark is using that same language. And he used it already once in his gospel at the first healing that Jesus did. The first healing in Jesus is in the Gospel of Mark is when Jesus cast out the evil spirit. When Jesus powerfully overcame the forces of evil and delivered that man from the oppression of the evil spirit. But now on the last healing miracle that Jesus does in his Mark's Gospel, Again, Jesus is being described as the one who powerfully works salvation. He's Jesus the Nazarene uh, that is coming in this crowd. But as uh, he recognizes who it is that is coming, Bart, uh, uh, Bartimaeus uh, cries out and he says two things. He identifies Jesus and then he gives his cry to Jesus. He says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We, over the last two years, we have been going through the book of Samuel. And in the book of Samuel, we've been looking at the life of David and trying to understand what is so significant about David. David was a king over Israel. But David was meant to picture a greater king that would emerge. That the promises that were given to David pointed forward to one who would establish righteousness, one who would establish peace. And so the scriptures always spoke about a son of David that would emerge. Down the road, there will be a greater David. And here, Bartimaeus speaks to Jesus, but he addresses him as son of David. Because he's saying, you're what the scriptures were talking about. 
We read in Isaiah 42, Behold my servant, what will the servant do? He will open the eyes of the blind. That when the son of David comes, he will bring blessing. He will fix what has been broken by the world of sin. He will establish righteousness and he will put a new song in our mouth. He will establish God's salvation. And Bartimaeus here is addressing Jesus saying, you're the promised one. And so when he calls him son of David, it is a meaningful title. He's addressing him by his role. But you'll notice that the crowd is actually trying to silence Bartimaeus, which is ultimately having the effect of trying to silence the truth of what he's declaring about Jesus. But Bartimaeus continues to cry out. Not only does he tell him that he's the son of David, but he also asks him to have mercy on me. To have mercy on someone is to have compassion on someone. Uh, to, uh, to come alongside them, to help them, not because of obligation, not because of responsibility, but surely just to help them. It's not because they deserve it or can claim it, but because they need it. And so here, Bartimaeus is asking for mercy. Help me because I stand in need of it. Uh, and so uh, he keeps crying out uh, this all the more uh, loudly, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You notice that uh, Jesus, as he's moving along, uh, um, uh, uh, it says uh, that Jesus has stood still. That language there in verse 49, and Jesus stopped. Literally that Jesus stood Maybe you young people, when you're playing uh, with your friends or with your siblings, you might be making noise, and then one of you says, wait, did you hear that? And then everyone goes quiet because you want to remove the noise. You want to be able to hear. What was that in the background? And here Jesus stops because he hears and then he calls. <coughs> he calls for Bartimaeus to come so that he can heal. <coughs> he hears Bartimaeus' cry even when others are trying to silence him. And he gets through. So Jesus hears and the crowd then calls on Bartimaeus to come to him. The man responds in verse 50 and it tells us that he threw off his cloak and he sprang or he jumped literally up and he came to Jesus. That cloak would have been his outer garment, something that not every beggar had. And so it would have been something very valued by a beggar uh, for shelter and for warmth. But Bartimaeus is so excited because he has something greater before him. And so he throws off this cloak that could be a, a barrier or a hindrance to him. And he jumps up and comes to Jesus. And notice when he comes, Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? Do you remember? That's exactly what Jesus said to James and John. When they said, teacher, let us do what we ask you to do for us. Grant to us our request. Jesus entertained their notion and said, what is it that you want? And they wanted glory. 
Let us sit on your left and on your right. Let us be lifted up and exalted above others. Let us be first in your royal court. But now Jesus asks Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do? And Bartimaeus doesn't ask for status. He doesn't ask for glory. (coughs) Bartimaeus asks for healing. Maybe that sounds anticlimactic. Take away my blindness. But what Bartimaeus is doing is he is acknowledging something about Jesus. You're the servant who would take away blindness. But he's also acknowledging something about himself. I'm not what I should be. And when he says that, he's acknowledging that he wants to be made well. Take away, my blind, take away the, the blindness and let me see again. Make me the way I was supposed to be so that I can appreciate God's wonder. And so we are told that as a result, Jesus healed him. Your faith has made you well. But the account doesn't end with him simply being healed. When Jesus says, go your way, your faith has made you well. It says immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. In Luke's account, it tells us that he went following him, praising God. Because he, what he lacked for in physical sight, he gained in insight. At the beginning of the story, Bartimaeus is sitting by the way. The way that Jesus is traveling. The path that Jesus is taking to Jerusalem. Bartimaeus is on the side, passively, idly sitting there. But at the end of this encounter, he's not passively, idly sitting there. But he's now following in the way of his master. The one who he addresses as Rabboni. He is now devoting himself having experienced God's grace. And it's the same in the lives of Christians. Those who have come to believe in Jesus, those who have been confronted with the truth of their own sins, when they come to understand what Jesus has done for them through his death and his resurrection, they won't remain passive or idle they will now be marked by a devotion that follows in the way. They won't be sitting idly. And so where are you this morning? When the gospel comes to you, when you hear the message of Jesus Christ, are you remaining passive to these things? Are you remaining idle, just sitting there? Or are you someone who is now responding to what Jesus has done, And following Christ, praising God, because you see God's grace. We can go out and we can look at the sunset. We can look at the skies. We can look at the water. And we can appreciate the rest that it brings, the relaxation. But have we seen God's grace in Jesus that gives eternal rest and enjoyment in God? Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us to see in this encounter with Bartimaeus something of the human condition. That Bartimaeus was transformed, not only physically, but spiritually. That he was someone who has come to see your grace. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see not only wondrous things in your word, but that we would see the glory of the word. In Jesus' name we pray.